For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Into the Net FC, the soccer talk discussion segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. As usual, I am the host reporting live from deep in the heart of Texas. It's once again my honor to welcome back my good friend and mentor in beautiful and sunny Southern California. Welcome back, Steve. Hey, good to be here. Hard to believe that we're getting down to the last week of November. So um, a week week from today will be December 1st. So uh, 2020, mercifully, is uh, is coming to an end. Yeah, I'm just about, I've just about had it. Okay, I've been saying this for months. I'm done with this year. I mean, it won't even be fun discussing this year to my future children and grandchildren, I'll tell you that. There have been a couple of little highlights uh, for me. I mean, the trip to South America, my wife and I did in January. That was awesome. My my daughter getting through her heart surgery in March. That was huge. Uh, Liverpool winning their first top flight title in England in 30 years. That that certainly put, uh, put a bit of a smile on my face. Um, so, I mean, it hasn't been without a few good things. But, yeah, I think we'll all agree that that 2020 in many different ways has just been a massive buzzkill. Yeah, it has. It's been affecting the soccer, but you know what? I'm just glad that we have soccer to talk about. Agreed. All right, so we're coming off uh, week nine of the Premier League, and, you know, as usual, just more and more surprising results. I guess that's uh, that's one of the positives from 2020 in Premier League because the fact that there's so many surprising results, that's what makes it so interesting and really makes us sit back and relax and, Expect the unexpected, and that's how unique the sport is. So I'm really enjoying it so far. Well, I mean, the big surprise for me, well, there are a couple of surprises. Uh, the one, Aston Villa, who, as everybody remembers, put a massive 72 beatdown on Liverpool a few weeks back, and uh, who played some pretty decent ball, but they actually lost their third home game in a row at uh, Villa Park in Birmingham. Brighton came up from the coast. And got a well-deserved two-to-one win against the villains. Yeah, it's just you know another one, and you know it wasn't long ago. I, I could have sworn Aston Villa was at one point in the, in the top. Oh yeah, they were. You know they were. You know touching distance. You know of like uh, the top spot. So um, so anyway, uh, if you're a Villa fan, if you're a half, glass half full, glass half empty kind of person. Uh, the good news is, is it's not looking like they're going to be fighting for the relegation spots. I mean, they were fighting for uh, keeping up in the Premier League up to the last game of the season. So, uh, uh, but they've been a little bit up and down the last couple of weeks. But uh, Brighton, who was kind of drifting down a little bit towards the lower places, it was a it was a pretty good win for them to go in the Villa and get the two to one win. It sure was, and I'm taking a look at the standings: Tottenham and Liverpool. And Liverpool. They're actually tied for first place because they're both sitting at six wins, two draws, and one loss. And Chelsea's knocking on the door right behind them. 
you know, Southampton still currently in fifth. You know, Le- Leicester City manages to get back into fourth. So, you know, there's just plenty of games left to play. I mean, this is why I'm just getting more and more excited to expect more unexpected results. So, th- this ride's really getting bumpier. A lot of talk- talking points from over the weekend. Uh, Tottenham and Manchester City was certainly uh, probably the marquee match of the weekend. And... Uh, they got a decisive 2-0 win against City. Dominant again. Uh, Kane and Son were fantastic. And uh, City didn't really have a whole lot of reply for them. But, uh, but I mean, it's just showing that, you know, once again, I think that uh, Jose Mourinho, uh, this is really looking like one of his better coaching jobs ever. And... Uh, when he left Manchester United a couple of years ago, sort of licking his wounds, and uh, a lot of people had felt that the game had passed the uh, the Portuguese manager by. Well, he's found new life with Spurs, and um, they've been playing really, really good ball. Yeah, and to be honest, despite the differences, despite you know, I'm, I'm obviously not a huge fan of him. Look, I hope that things do go work out work out for him because whether you like him or not. There's really no point of denying he is, in fact, one of the greatest managers of this generation. He's an excellent manager. and uh, But the thing that I think that's made his success with Tottenham even a little more interesting is that the Tottenham's game is very pleasing for the eye. It's a fun team to watch. And they've become even a little more fun to watch, if that's possible, by adding Gareth Bale to their attack, along with Son and, and Harry Kane. Uh, Spurs have a very, very formidable attack. Um, I don't know if there's anybody really in the EPL that is better than them. Liverpool's top three may be as good. Not sure if they're necessarily better, but, uh, but we'll get to Liverpool in a little bit. For me, I'm happy Tottenham was able to win like this because with Hugo Lloris uh, at the goalkeeping position, and I still believe he was captaining the team, for him to keep a clean sheet against Man City, it's really cool. I mean, you know, you know, he was coming off a huge win against Portugal, you know, keeping a clean sheet against that team. So Hugo Lloris is starting maybe picking up a bit of momentum. Yeah, you know, he's he's been playing fairly solid in goal for Tottenham, and then. Um, on the subject of Manchester, uh, the other team from Manchester, as in United, they had, scrap, they had to scrap quite a bit harder against West Brom. Uh, they got the three points on a Bruno Fernandes penalty, but, man, you really, really sort of huffed and puffed, and they had the labor uh, for the win. Okay. And uh, they and West Brom, they did have chances later on in the game to, to tie it. So... Uh, it wasn't as a decisive a win at home, I think, as Man U fans would have liked. But, um, you know, the Baggies gave them a really, really tough game. I'm not happy about this win. And, and the fact that, you know, we won because, we, we, okay, first of all, Manchester United was very lucky because West Brom was, okay, at first it was awarded a penalty, but upon further review, the penalty was wiped away. So, Manchester United oh, got, got lucky on that. Oh, towards the end of the towards the end of the game, yeah, the referee actually looked at after he had initially whistled penalty, and then he did something which 
I'm kind of surprised that more referees don't do instead of leaving it to the guy up in the booth to make the decision with VAR. He went over to the sideline. He took a good hard look at himself uh, on the replay, and he decided that no, this contact, this this did not warrant a, a penalty. So uh, I think it was a case where the review and I, and by the way, I think as a neutral observer, I do think the review was right. I don't really think it was a penalty. So um, even though um, West Brom's manager was not real happy with the, with the turning of the decision. But uh, but it certainly did help. I think it happened twice. I could have sworn early early on in the game, uh, West Brom was was denied a penalty as well, unless uh, uh, unless the goal app, uh, which the goal app has been messing up quite a bit lately. Unless the goal app just told me late, but I could have sworn early in the game, West Brom was awarded at first, but it was uh, taken away. Yeah, that part I missed. I know that Fernandez was allowed to do a re kick on his kick on his PK because the. The first one uh, was stopped, but uh, the referee said, no, no, the, the the West Brom goalie was off his line early. And if you look at the replay, he was. He had cheated off the line early a bit, so Fernandez was allowed the retake, and, and he buried the second attempt. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, uh, it's a, a win's a win, but sometimes, you know, when I'm a, when a sports writer, like you, when it wins like this, you know, there's not a great story behind it. It's so negative. It just doesn't. It, it's just one of those wins that I like to say it's it's unacceptable, but it's more like unbearable because it's 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 still a hard pill to swallow. Like you won because of a penalty, and because you know, late in the game, your opponent was denied a penalty. I mean, really, it, I expected better results, and it's frustrating that we didn't get those results. But you know, well, it, is what it, is. it is what it is. But I think for Man U fans. I think the thing that you should, you know, sort of take a bright look at. And anyway, yeah, the the form in the league hasn't been great for Man U, but Champions League they've been playing pretty pretty darn good ball in Champions League. So uh, they're pretty well through to the round of sixteen in Champions League. So uh, that's that's one bit of good news for uh, for Devils fans. It is uh, because you know, well, man, you did in fact, you know, they beat uh, the Turkish club uh, Basik here. I believe I'm saying it right. They beat them four to one. Bruno Fernandez scored twice, you know, without a penalty. And there's actually a very interesting story about this because Manchester United was awarded a penalty, but there's a story that Bruno Fernandez did not want to take it. Instead, he allowed he allowed Marcus Rashford to, to take it. And from what I understand, it's because Rashford was fouled. So I guess he believed well since he was fouled, you know, he has to take the shot. I mean. I, Maybe that that's a good reason, or maybe because you know he's humble, he's not selfish. He wants you know he wants his teammate to get to get some you know glory as well. But but Man U's really just been playing great in Champions League play. I mean they they're a different team when it comes to Champions League play so far this season. But whatever the case, they really got to step it up because in the standings of the Premier League, they're sitting in tenth, and the only bright side to that is the fact that both Arsenal and Manchester City are both right below them. They're not very far, but they're below them. But they got to pick up the pace. Well, and talking about English clubs in the Champions League and also getting a win over the weekend, Chelsea went up to Newcastle to St. James's Park, uh, got a very businesslike 2-0 win up in, um, up in Newcastle. And then today, Chelsea, they got a 2-1 win against Wren. So um, 
they're through to the round of 16 as well. So Frank Lampard has to be happy with that. Uh, there is talk that Pulisic will be back for Chelsea this weekend for what's now shaping up to be a really huge game with Spurs. But uh, whether or not Pulisic will be starting, I, I would really be shocked if he's starting. I my, my hope would be that he would be on the bench. But, um, and, you know, hopefully he can stay healthy. But, uh, but for Frank Lampard, uh, it's been a good last uh, three, four days getting the win on Saturday at Newcastle and then going down to Brittany and picking up the win against Ren. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the win today, Olivier Giroud scored the game winning goal. And for, and for fans of the French game, uh, Mendy, who started out the season with Wren, and then uh, with Chelsea's absolute clusterfuck of a goaltender situation, uh, they shelled out the big bucks to to Wren to get Mendy to come up to London to play. And uh, he's been playing some really good ball that's been looking like a good, good acquisition. So uh, a nice homecoming for Mendy to go to Brittany and uh, pick up a win with his current club. Yeah, he's doing great. And it all, it, while Mendy is, you know, all, all he's got to do is just keep up the good work, buddy. Now, now we get on to Everton versus Fulham. Well, this is definitely, well, this is what I like to call another losing effort for Fulham. But for Everton, they, they, they needed this win because Everton's just gotten so cold. I mean, they were hot at first, but... They've just cooled down. I mean, now they're frozen. I mean, they were hot. Now they're frozen. But this is definitely a sign that they can be getting back to being tough because, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored in the first minute. He actually had a brace. He would score again in the 29th minute. And then by the 35th minute, you know, Everton had three goals. It, it was 3-1 three, three at halftime because uh, Fulham's uh, Bobby Reed would score, equalize in the 15th minute. And they would add a goal in the 70th. So, you know, Fulham's, you know... A valiant effort, but just you know, just came up short. But, but, but I agree. Ancelotti's men really desperately needed this. Uh, Calvert Lewin, he's still continuing his fantastic form with both Everton and with England. Uh, the guy just is continuing to to hit the back of the net. Uh, goal by Ducure, uh, and then um, two two assists from Digne for uh, for Everton. So. Uh, so for the blue side of Merseyside, uh, a big away win after a couple of disappointing results back-to-back. -back. Just like them, they got to keep it up. And, and the standings, I mean, they're, they're back in six. And they're five wins, one draw, and three losses. So is that, they, they continue to win if Southampton, you know, starts going a losing streak, which is, you know, more than likely to happen. I think Everton still has a shot of, of finishing in the top in the top four. It's going to be it's it, right now it's just so wide open. It's just uh it's just so hard so hard to say. I just I think the bottom line is, is I don't think any I don't think any club is going to run away with this. But um and one bit of good news uh, at least for Liverpool fans like myself. Um Liverpool was able to get the win against Leicester City. Uh, Leicester City had been playing uh, some pretty good ball of late, and uh, Liverpool's injury problems have been well documented. About God, I want to say 
six of their regular, what would have been considered their regular starters, were not able to play, uh, including Mo Salah. Uh, they had to deputize uh, Milner to, to play in the back. Fabinho was playing in the back. Uh, Matip was playing in the back. Um, there was some concern whether uh, Andy Robertson was going to be able to play his left-back spot for Liverpool, but he played, and not only that, had a wonderful assist, uh, absolute slide rule, perfect cross into the box that uh, the Portuguese scoring machine, uh, Diego Jota, scored his fourth goal in as many games. No Liverpool player has ever started his career with Liverpool and scored in four games in a row in the top flight. It has never happened. Uh, Bobby Firmino got a goal off a header uh, for the third goal, and then Liverpool had taken advantage off a corner kick. Uh, Evans headed the ball into his own net. Uh, kind of a sad state of affairs. But uh, I was I, I frankly was very worried coming into this game because I was just worried about Jamie Vardy having a field day with Liverpool trying to do a patchwork uh, defense because they've just been so decimated with injuries. Yeah, I'm actually surprised. I mean, I, I felt Liverpool was going to pull it off, but I expected more like Liverpool winning 3-2 to two because, you know, with the defensive problems, and I thought Hardy was Jamie Vardy was, was going to have a good game, but no, you know, I was proven wrong. They lost, they won 3 nothing, and, you know, a much-needed win, and now, like, like I said earlier, they're tied for first uh, for the top of the Premier League, and I mean... You know, this is only match day number nine out of thirty-eight, so there's still a long season ahead. So, I mean, the the fear the fears are still not going to die yet. They're they're well they're alive and well, honestly. That's true. Uh, Leeds at Arsenal. They played a scoreless draw in Yorkshire. Uh, Leeds played the better half of the second half, a man ahead. Um, after Pepe was given a red card off of. What are those ridiculous red cards that you see in soccer, you know, where you kind of lean with your head and you make a little bit of contact? It's not even enough contact to, uh, to crush a grape. And uh, the Leeds guy goes down like he was poleaxed um, by Marvin Hagler. And um, anyway, Leeds absolutely laid siege to the Arsenal goal for the better part of the second half. Arsenal had a couple of counterattack chances uh, later on towards the very end of the game. They almost they almost nipped it in the very, very end. But in the end, a 0-0 draw between uh, Leeds and the Gunners. You know, it's a shame, really, because Leeds United was off to a respectable start, as was Arsenal. I swear, long, long ago, Leeds was was close to the top five. I don't know; they were probably in the top five, but they were they were up there. And now they're they've dropped all the way down to fourteen. You know, three wins, two draws, and a loss. And you know, before the straw, they they were coming off back to back four one. Actually, no, the, yes, they were coming back uh, four to one losses. One uh, on the at home against Leicester City, and then one uh, on the road to Crystal Palace. So. I mean, all that momentum that was there, all of a sudden it was just gone. It was very much a winnable game for for Leeds. So uh, Arsenal will actually be the much happier of the two sides uh, to get out of Yorkshire with the point. I mean, 
just like you know for Leeds United, you know it's the, it's the same situation. They gotta they gotta pick it up. Like they don't want they don't want to go. They don't want to be relegated again. I'll tell you that right now. It would it would be catastrophic if they got relegated again. Leeds is actually sitting in pretty good shape. I mean, yeah, they're in fourteenth place, but it's just the teams that are the bottom three, bottom four. They're pretty bad. Okay, Sheffield United is sitting at one point. West Brom is sitting at three. Fulham's at four. Burnley, um, there's they're sitting at five after their win on Monday. But um, and then uh, the the gap between the sixteenth and seventeenth is uh, Brighton sitting at nine. Burnley sitting at five. But um, and Leeds sitting with eleven points. I I think Leeds is actually. I think they're going to be pretty good as far as avoiding the drop. I think really in the end, your your four candidates that are going to be fighting it out to see who's going to survive is going to be between Sheffield United, West Brom, Fulham, and Burnley. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what the standings are right now. We, we took a look down. Sheffield United is and West Brom are, are two of the, the, the two winless teams, and Fulham... You know they were they were twenty long not long ago. I mean they're still in the relegation zone, but they got one win, which is a bit of pride. But you know, Fulham's gonna fight tooth and nail to stay out of the relegation zone. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah, I just I just think right now those those are your most likely likely candidates right now. And uh, you know you keep saying that well you know next match we'll do it. Well you know at a few, there's been a few of these next matches already and. Uh, you know the the blades are still sitting at just one measly point after after nine games. Um, you you have to ask yourself with the people in the boardroom if they're looking at doing any type of change at the top for uh, for the blades. You know I have I haven't read anything yet, but I have to think that uh, in a couple more weeks. And then let's not forget we're almost into December, and then we get into that absolute. Uh, that sadistic part of the schedule where you have all these games back to back, the the Christmas Boxing Day games, the the New Year's games. Um, you're you're playing in this cold, wet weather, and then you know you add to it, you know, the next couple of weeks, uh, you've got the European games. So if you if you're playing Europa League, if you're playing Champions League, you got those midweek games. And I know that um, Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, he has been extremely vocal about uh, the amount of games in uh, in a short amount of time. And uh, I know he's been lobbying hard about wanting to go back to the five substitutions instead of three. Um, and I, I think there's probably a couple of managers that would probably be in agreement with them because uh, I, I think compared to the average year, I mean, injuries have just been huge at the rate that they've been accumulating. It just, I don't have black and white figures to back it up, but anecdotally, it just seems like um, a lot of teams have been really, really hit hard by injuries, uh, none more so, I think, than Liverpool. Manchester United had had a had a fair share as well, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Liverpool has basically got the, you know the worst of the exchange as far as injuries go. 
Well, no question. Uh, I mean, Van Dyke out, Gomez out, Alexander Arnold out, Alcantara out, uh, Fabinho had been out, uh, Mo Salah, he'll be back soon. He was out uh, because of COVID. Uh, Henderson was out. I mean, that's basically seven out of what would be your first first choice 11. And then um, the other day, uh, Nabi Keita was injured again for Liverpool. And, I mean, he gets injured just about as much as uh, Christopher Pulisic for, uh, for Chelsea. But yet, in spite of all of this, in spite of all the injuries and everything, you know, Liverpool still tied at the top on points uh, behind Tottenham on goal differential and will probably be rooting like mad um, for Chelsea when Chelsea plays uh, Tottenham this weekend. Yeah, and that's what we're going to next. We're going to go and talk about this weekend's games. You know, this is match d- 10 out of 38. I swear, it feels like the, the Premier League season's been taking forever already, but we're only nine games in and, you know, plenty of plenty of soccer left. Excuse me, man, the excitement is just getting to me. Plenty of Premier League play left to see, so let's get into next week. So, you know, your club, Liverpool, will be on the on the road to take on Brighton. Hmm. Yeah, they're the 4.30 game, uh, my time on Sunday, or excuse me, on Saturday. So as much of a fan as I am, nah, I'm not getting up at 4.30 on Saturday. I'll I'll get up when I get up, and I'll watch the highlights. Uh, actually, for this weekend's fixtures, Crystal Palace and Newcastle are actually the first fixture. They play Friday. Oh, that's right. Yes, they do. And oh, speaking of Crystal Palace, you know, they, they actually suffered a one nothing loss to Burnley last weekend. Yeah, Burnley flat out outplayed them. Uh, a very deserved win. It was a very much needed win because, uh, like the other bottom feeders in the EPL, uh, Burnley had frankly been sucking air. So uh, the win against Palace on Monday that was that was a huge win. And it was actually uh, Burnley's first win of the season. Right. Yeah. So they got so Crystal Palace takes on Newcastle. This one kind of has me well. I think in this one, I think Crystal Palace is going to take the win. They were humiliated last weekend. I don't think they want to let it happen again. So I think Crystal Palace takes this win. I think Palace wins at home. Yeah, I'm going to go with and, and Liverpool. I think Liverpool picks up the win. I mean, it, despite the injury fear still out there, I still think Liverpool can play a bit of subline football, and I think I think they'll be okay in this one. I think they'll go to the coast, and I think they'll they'll get the job done. Yeah. So now we get to Man City and Burnley. Well, th- nothing really to think about. I mean, you know, Burnley picked up their first win, but not, now they're they're going to Manchester to play Manchester City. I think I th- I think you know this is not going to be a cakewalk for them. I, I think Manchester City takes care of business and wins three to one. I mean, I'm nice I to Man- give them a goal, but I think Man City wins. I agree. I think Man City wins this. Uh... Everton leads as the on paper looks like a very wide open and interesting game. These are both teams that uh, can score goals uh, in bunches. Uh, Leeds has had kind of a disappointing last couple of weeks. Everton is showing that they're back into it, and uh, I think Everton gets the win at Goodison Park. 
I th- I think so. Yeah, I I have to agree with you. I, I I think Everton, you know, Everton pick up that win. They have to get on a winning streak. And, and in my opinion, I th- I think a winning streak starts at three. I I I don't think two in a row is a winning streak. That's just the way. But I think Everton wants to get to a winning streak, and they gotta and to get to that, they gotta win two straight to eventually make it there. And since they want to be back on top, and they gotta keep the momentum alive, I think. They're going to take care of business. They're going to beat Leeds United, and then they're going to work their way back up to the top. Yep. And then um, last game on Saturday is a bottom feeder matchup between West Brom and Sheffield United. A huge, huge game for both teams. And it's a game that both teams feel that they can win. Um, Baggies have been a little little bit unlucky in a couple of their games. I think that, I think they'll I think they'll prevail. In this one, um, I think I think they'll win up at the Hawthorns against the Blades. I think they're I think the Blades' bad luck is going to continue. It's a shame, but I have to agree with you. Yeah. Now, next Sunday, Manchester United is going against somebody that's really they really gave them problems last year. I'm talking about Southampton. Correct me if I'm wrong, but last time Manchester United played Southampton, which was last year, man, you lost two to nothing. If I'm correct. Southampton's looked good uh, this year, and uh, this is going to be a tough game going down to the coast for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his men. Um, he's fortunately, I think, for Man U, uh, Bruno Fernandez is just in studmaster mode. He's he's clearly Man U's go-to player. He he's by far and away Man U's best player, in my opinion. Uh, this is one though. I think Southampton will win. I mean, as painful as it is, it is to say, I think you're right, honestly, because you know last year Southampton gave Man U a lot of problems, and I don't, I don't think Man U is gonna get the better of them this quick. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Chelsea, Tottenham. I gotta think for Liverpool, they're probably hoping this one finishes at a draw. I don't think they want necessarily Chelsea. They don't. They definitely don't want Tottenham to get all three points, but I don't think they really want Chelsea to get all three points too. I think this is one where I think they'll be rooting for a draw. Um, We'll be curious to see if Pulisic gets uh, game time. (laughs) Excuse me for uh, Frank Lampard's men. This will be, this will be interesting. It'll be interesting because uh, Chelsea has had more than a couple of problems in some games with their, with their back play. Um, You know, can they can they ask serious questions of Tottenham's defense? So uh, this is this is by far and away the most intriguing matchup of the of the weekend on Sunday is with Chelsea and Spurs. Yeah, this is definitely uh, inter- it's definitely interesting. It's tr- interesting on paper, but it's interesting. Period, if you ask me. And, and you're right. You know, Liverpool needs this game to end in a draw because a three points for either team. There's severe consequences, and like we mentioned, Tottenham and Liverpool are tied for first. If Tottenham wins this game, if Liverpool and with Liverpool, you know, since we both have them winning, if they both win, you know, it's stuck at square one. So, and Liverpool, yeah. Liverpool wants to be ahead. Well, and Tottenham has the by far superior uh, goal differential at this point. So. Uh... This is this is one that I actually do think will end in a draw. I think I pick this one as a one-one draw. I have to agree. 
I think yeah, one one draw is is real is realistically the way to see it. Arsenal and Wolves. Um, well, I'll tell you this year, Wolves their their attack is definitely missing something after uh, Yoga Jota has left the team to come then bring his offensive prowess uh, to to Merseyside. I mean, Wolves still have Troyore, they still have Raul Jimenez, but the the Wolves' attack has not looked quite as biting this year as compared to the previous couple of years. Uh, I think after Arsenal's uh, 0-0 draw against Leeds, I think Arsenal gets the win against Wolves. I think, well, Arsenal's been kind of a mess lately. But as you just mentioned about Wolverhampton, the, the the attack is missing something. But I think I see this ending in a 0-0 draw. Strong possibility. Uh, gets us to the Monday games. Uh, the Foxes will bounce back against Fulham. Uh, Leicester City should uh, get a win at home in the Midlands against Fulham. Uh, no question about it. Leicester City, I would say Leicester City wins 4 nothing. West Ham and Aston Villa, last game of the weekend on Monday, second game on Monday. Uh, West Ham will be hosting this one at the, the at what was the Olympic Stadium from the London Olympics in 2012. Um, I think I think this is one where I think Villa bounces back. Uh, there's been some talk of uh, Man City uh, being interested in uh, Grealish, who has played so very well for for Villa. It'll be interesting if there's any type of movement in um, the trade deadline or the transfer window, but uh, but there's no question that Grealish is probably Villa's best fl- best player by far, and he's also looked really good playing for England. But I think I think Villa goes into London, and I think they get the win against the Hammers. That's likely to happen. Although West Ham is on a t- I believe they're on a two-game winning streak right now. You know, both coming off right. one nothing wins, but Aston Villa may end that. Oh, you know, I just mentioned. You know, I just broke my own rule. Like they want two straight. That's not even a winning streak. <laughs> but you know, they want two straight. But I think Aston Villa is going to end that. So that's the upcoming. Uh, any any thoughts on the Champions League games from today? Well, honestly, PSG winning. Okay. That's another one of those games where I like to call it unacceptable, but more importantly, unbearable. Manchester United beat RP Leipzig at home at the Parc des Princes, which, by the way, I've never ever seen, to be honest, even though I've been in Paris before. Neymar scored a penalty in the 11th minute, and but PSG won, but, you know, winning like that, you know, what's really hard, the hard pill to swallow is, I'm looking at the lineup right, right now, you know, they were using the four, uh, the four by three by three, the four defend, the four defenders and three midfielders and three strikers, um, strategy. And Mbappe, Neymar, and and Angel Di Maria were the top three. I I figure you know a one nothing win you know on a penalty. I I feel like that that's just unacceptable. I I feel like PSG should have scored three goals tops. They got the win. Um... For fans of American soccer, they'll be pleased to know that Serginho Dest of U.S. men's national team 
got a goal today for Barcelona in their 4-0 win. They went to the Ukraine. They beat uh, Dinamo Kiev. So Desk gets a goal. Uh, Griezmann gets a goal also for the Catalan. So uh, Barcelona, in some ways, they're kind of like Man U in that their domestic form has frankly been awful. But uh, in Champions League, uh, the Catalans have been playing some really good ball. Uh, lost over the weekend to Atletico Madrid on just a howler of a fuck-up by uh, Ter Sagan, the their German goaltender. Um, but they got the four-zip win in Ukraine, so... Uh, Barcelona, Hoham, they're they're through to the round of sixteen. You know, much to my surprise, Lionel Messi didn't even start. He wasn't even in the in the substitutes. Like he was not in this game. Period. I, it wasn't a surprise. You, you need to give him a little bit of a rest. He's getting up there, and you know he's 33, 34 years old, and uh, a lot of games. It's a long season, and uh, I think that they felt that. I think Ronald Coleman thought, rightly, as it turned out, that uh, with the forces that he had, he would be able to go to Ukraine and, and get the job done, which he did. Mm-hmm. And then uh, other fans of uh, the U.S. men's national team, uh, Claudio Reyna's son, Gio, uh, he continues to play for Borussia Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund picked up their win as well, so... Uh, you know, good to see, good to see another American kid uh, being able to play in the Champions League, and um, good to see Dortmund get the get the win against uh, Bruges. Mm-hmm. With of course none other than Erling Haaland scoring an you know, brace. So I, I guess whatever Dortmund scores, I mean that name is likely the, is more than likely to be the name of who scored because this kid has really been lightening Dortmund up. Oh, no question. And then uh, Juventus got a late winner uh, from Rata. So uh, they they won their game. Ronaldo had a goal earlier on. Rata gets a goal. So Juventus, they're kind of riding their ship uh, a little bit. So maybe not as huge on the style points, but you know, still they got the win. So it's looking good for them to be able to go through to the next round. Uh, Chelsea, as we mentioned, Chelsea's through to the to the last sixteen as well. So, uh, so at any rate, so um, now that we're after uh, the fourth match, we'll we'll have a much better idea. Particularly after tomorrow's games, we'll have a better idea of who's going to be making it into the round of sixteen. Yeah, I mean, Real Madrid. God, I mean, they're in such a predicament. They're playing Inter Milan tomorrow, you know, on the road, and they just, they're at the point they they can't lose anymore. They have to win out the rest the rest of the group stage. I mean, they're in third place with one win, one draw, and one loss, while Inter Milan is winless with two draws and a loss. You it's know. actually a must. It's a, it's really a must win game for both teams. Uh, Inter Milan absolutely has to win. Um, you know, it's certainly very important for Real Madrid. To win, but uh, I don't think many of us thought that you know three games in that uh, Inter Milan would be you know sitting fourth in that group. So uh, it's it's definitely a much uh, it's 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 a must win game. So it's a very intriguing matchup. I mean, I and then on it's, and then on the it's hard side, to believe those 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 two smaller clubs are above are above like two heavyweights in Europe. Well, and well, and this will be 
interesting too because now after Borussia Dortmund went into Ukraine and put an absolute beatdown on Shakhtar Donetsk, now Shakhtar has to go uh, to Germany to play Borussia Mönchengladbach, and uh, if if the Germans win, I mean they're sitting pretty good as far as getting through to to the next round, and Shakhtar. Um, because they coughed up so many goals, their goal differential took such a massive hit. I mean, all of a sudden, that opening match day one uh, miracle win in Madrid, I mean, all of a sudden, after that debacle in Ukraine in their last game, I mean, that seems almost like a distant memory. Uh, if Shakhtar loses, especially if they give up a heavy scoreline again, uh, that's going to put a serious dent into their hopes for making it through to the next round. And th- this group has just been beyond interesting, hasn't it? It's by far and away the most interesting group of of this Champions League so far. By far and away, any one of those four teams, you know, they depending on the last three games, you know, they they still have a shot. But like I said, Inter Milan to have really a prayer. They're going to have to win uh, uh, tomorrow against uh, Real Madrid. Yeah, but you know, since it's at home, there's an advantage. But I think Real Real Madrid is they're they're licking their chops. They're 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 like, they're done being embarrassed. I think Real Madrid is going to pull through and win it. Well, they're having their own injury issues in Madrid, as as I understand it. Ramos will not be playing for Real Madrid. So, you know, he's such a, as much as, you know, you either love the guy or hate the guy, but, uh, you know, by hook or crook, the guy knows how to win. And uh, that's that's a huge, huge missing piece for Zinedine Zidane's uh, players if he's not playing against uh, Inter. So we'll have to see how that one goes. We'll have to see. Yes, indeed. And, you know, it says here Inter Milan has lost three of their last four game games against Real Madrid in European competition. So Real Madrid does have a bit of an advantage. But, you know, that's the past. You know, there's been times where history really doesn't repeat itself. Now, let's go and talk about your two clubs. Let's talk about Marseille and Liverpool. I mean, I think Marseille is already out of the – is honestly, they're already out. So – well, I think you can stick a fork in Marseille and Rennes as far as two of the three uh, French League uh, competitors. There's not going to be any replay this year of uh, a couple of French sides making it into the quarterfinals of the Champions League. That's clearly not going to happen. Uh, Marseille, in a, what can you say? They've been very, very disappointing. Uh, Liverpool, uh, they're 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 getting it done in the Champions League and. Um, I, I I think they should be winning their group without too much difficulty. Yeah, yeah. So it's all said and done. I think yeah, Liverpool wins convincingly. While Marseille's playing Porto at home, but I, I you know Marseille's zero and three. They've yet to score a goal in this tournament, and you know they've allowed seven goals. And like you said, you know, stick a fork in it. You know, it's all over. I I don't think it gets better for them. I mean, if somehow they pull off the win, then. Then great, but I think I think it's too little, too late. At the rate that's going for Olympic Marseille, they're they're not even going to make the third third spot to at least make it drop down to Europa League. So, um, 
it's too bad. It was, I mean, on the one hand, I was really happy when Marseille was able to qualify for Champions League, but uh, but their play in Champions League, it's just been very, very disappointing, to say the least. It really, it really has, honestly. And, and it, it's really a sh- it's, it's a shame, really. I mean, I'm sure, you know, uh, the supporters of Marseille are, are not really happy about it. Well, I mean, it's a tough crowd <laughs> to please anyway, but uh, <laughs> it sure is. But uh, but at any but at any rate, um, yeah, I I look for Marseille to go zero for four tomorrow against Porto. That's very realistic. And now we get to well, we still got okay. Man City's on the road against Olympiacos. You know, I think we just cut to the chase. I think Man City wins. Like Man City probably picks up a, a five nothing lead on us. Five nothing win, I should say. Olympiacos is a tough place to play. Um, granted, you're not going to have you know fifty thousand rabid Greeks uh, hurling insults and other things at the at the Man City players, but uh, but I think I think Man City is in pretty good shape. They'll they'll qualify for the last sixteen fairly comfortably out of this group. I mean, they're three and zero already. You know, scored nine goals, allowing only one, so they're in pretty good shape. I, I just think you know I, I see them you know finishing out in style. Yeah, no, no doubt. No, we have well, Bayern Munich playing RB Salzburg. Well, <laughs> it's gonna be in Munich. What, what's there to say? Bayern Munich wins. Yeah, this one they'll win fairly comfortably. I'm gonna say f- three nothing. Now we get to Atletico Madrid and, and Ajax. So Atletico Madrid's playing Loco, Locomotive Moscow. And then Ajax is playing, uh, I think it's the Danish club. I'm not sure. Uh, Mid- yeah, they play, they play Matuland, yeah. Mid-Tuland. And uh, this this is one uh, Ajax, I think, should probably win this one. Uh, would kind of like to see the Danes get at least a win in, in Champions League in this group. But uh, I think... I think the Dutch should carry the day against uh, in that one. Um, yeah, I that's that's what I'm thinking. Ajax, I think they just have too much, too many good young players for for the Danes. Yeah. So, and then you know, as far as Atletico Madrid goes, you know, they win. I I, I say they win comfortably as well. Well, I think they're going to parlay their um, La Liga form. Um, it's the team that you can kind of love to hate because they can play so dug on defensively and with such little imagination at times. But uh, they got the win over the weekend against Barcelona, and um, they're looking very, very good. So uh, the EPL and La Liga are both looking very good as far as uh, getting all four of their qualifying teams into the round of 16. Because Seville, they they won today, and that win today put them through. Uh, so uh, it'll be a different team that's going to win the Europa Cup, which is a competition that Seville has sort of dominated. I think they've won in the last 15 years. I think Seville has won that thing like six times. So uh, they won't be defending their title this year because they'll be making it to the round of 16 in the Champions League. So new winner in the Europa Cup. Yeah. And I predicted Seville is likely to be the dark horse of this tournament, and so far my prediction is still alive. They're a very good team, and um, 
you know, way back when they had the Super Cup against uh, Bayern Munich, they gave Bayern Munich a really, really tough game. And uh, I, of the of the four Spanish teams, I think right now, I think I think Seville could probably go deeper compared to either Barcelona or Real Madrid at this point. Atletico could make a deep run too, but I think. But I could I can certainly see Seville making a deeper run than either Real Madrid or Barca right now. It's very likely to happen. I mean, th- this is what I love so much about soccer. Uh, I've loved this much since I was a kid. It's all the surprises that were in store, and, the, and what's it, what makes it even a better surprise is they're all unexpected. So I'm ready for anything, to be honest. Agreed. So we'll 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 see tomorrow how it ends up. Yes, we will. So, actually, a friend of mine. Well, this is based on two articles I've written in the past week or so. Number one, I wrote an article about what if Eric Cantona's infamous kick never happened, and number two, I wrote what if uh, Newcastle United had had gone ahead and signed the young Zinedine Zidane. It, lately, I mean. For a primetime sports talk, the website I work for, I've been kind of on a what if uh, streak, and 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 I told the guy, and you know the guy asked me, you know what, you should told me that I should keep writing, and I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll keep going. I mean, because you know it's it's cool, it's things that never happened that could have happened, but as far as Eric Cantona goes, a friend of mine is curious to know if he asked me if I believe that the suspension, that infamous suspension he got, is the reason why he quit, and I and I say yes because. He says he retired from football at the age of 30 because he, quote, lost his passion for it. And I believe the suspe- the eight-month suspension, you know, is what resulted in him losing his interest in the game. Well, I think it certainly, it certainly played a key role. But, uh, but I think for, for most of us human beings, we don't appreciate just how much pressure uh, top-flight players are under and... Uh, in, in this country, we're so used to players trying to play until they're in their mid-late 30s. And then when you think of, you know, people like, uh, you know, Michel Platini was 31 when he hung it up. Cantona uh, hung it up when he was 30. I think they both had plenty to still to offer. But mentally, they had nothing left in the tank. So, uh, you know, I guess... Uh, I think that was probably the straw that broke the camel's back as far as Cantona was concerned. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really tough because, you know, he was suspended from, you know, domestic play. He was suspended from international play. And the whole incident caused him to lose his uh, his uh, position as the captain. He was, you know, never called up to the national team again. So that suspension kind of ended it all for him. But to answer the question, like, what would have happened... Like, what if it never happened? I mean, I kind of explained some sort of scenarios in my article. The best way to say, I mean, if it never happened, I mean, sure, his career probably... I'm sure his career probably would have lasted at least another five years or so, and I'm sure he would have been on the squad that won the World Cup in France in 98, but what people have to understand is when this particular incident happened, I was only two years old, and I don't mean to make you old feel feel old, Steve. But yeah, this actually happened seven days after my second birthday. I remember being in the room with my dad when it happened. I remember how he reacted, and and I can honestly say he's he's lucky that my mom wasn't in the room because we all because hearing what he said, she would have been un- unhappy, especially because the two year old me was right there. But I mean, I, I didn't understand exactly who Eric Cantona was. I didn't know he was an important player, so. 
I can't say that the whole thing affected me in, in, a, in a way. I, I think if it had never happened, I think he probably would have played a couple more years for Manchester United. I think his France career probably would have been done because he really didn't get along with Emé Jacquet, who ended up being the head coach that would that would lead France uh, to the 98 World Cup. Um, I think there were some personality conflicts with some of the other players as well. So I don't, I don't, as, as good a player as he was, as great a player as he was, I just think with the personality conflicts, I, I, I still don't think he would have played for France in the 98 World Cup. I don't think that was going to happen but either way. And that's an excellent point. I know we, we should mention, you mentioned like the, the difficulties with the, with the other players. I mean, specifically his uh, lifelong feud with Didier Deschamps. Yeah, no, that's been well that's been well documented and stuff. So it's just between not getting along with Deschamps and you know with his antipathy with Aimé Jacquet, yeah, that was a no go. He was never going to play on that French squad '98. Yeah, that's very true. So that wraps up that part. Now, my thoughts on what if Newcastle had went in ahead and signed the young Zidane? You know, I came up with the idea because, you know, really, it was not It was about a year or so ago where I found this out that Newcastle had the chance to sign him. And when I wrote the article, I, went, I took the readers on a journey to where, like, when Zidane was a young 24-year-old midfielder playing for Baldur, you know, he was begin. that's where he was beginning to finally, you know, rise up. You know, he was the 1996 uh, League One Player of the Year. He was on the squad in the 1996 Euro, and while he wasn't at his best, uh, France was in the Final Four, where they lost to the Czech Republic. I, I didn't want to say this in the article, even though I'm I'm positive that it was like that. He was not at the time very accepted by the French media or by the French uh, fans, at least not like from the other clubs, except for Bordeaux fans. Zidane was not popular at the time. But, well, he certainly had, yeah. he certainly had the talent. I yeah. mean, I I do think the French press definitely. They, I think they definitely wrote about him, you know, in 95, 96, like he was going to be the next big deal. I mean, he took a very, very unfancied Bordeaux team to the final of, you know, the precursor to the Europa League, which was the UEFA Cup, uh, got Bordeaux to the final where they lost uh, to Bayern Munich. So, uh, you know, he definitely had flashes of, of brilliance, and I think people knew that he was going to be a big deal, but... Uh, but I think at the end of the day, uh, leaving the between going to Juventus to or going to Newcastle, I think go. I think it was a no-brainer as far as going to Juventus, uh, perennial Italian champs. They're pretty much going to be competing for a Scudetto just about every year. You're going to be playing Champions League ball when you're playing with Juventus. Uh, I mean Newcastle. Yes, they have a passionate public in the north of England. They also have a cool black and white jersey. But uh, but I think at the end of the day, I just I I don't think it was ever going to be really serious about Zidane ending up in the north of England playing with Newcastle. I just I just never really took that seriously. I mean, the main reason that they didn't sign him is because they believed that he was not he was quote not good enough to play Premier League football. I don't. I think they. I think the rap was. I don't. I don't know if it was. I don't think it was lack of skill. I think they. I think they mistook. You know, because he was a fairly quiet guy. Um. You know, if they were expecting another Cantona, um, I mean, they're two very, very different personalities. 
Yeah, so, exactly, um, yeah. But, but I think, you know, it, I think it ended up working out pretty well for Zizou. Uh, he went to the next level with Juventus, played well with Juventus, and then uh, ended up with Real Madrid, and the rest, as they say, is history. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a good story, but I never... I never took that talk very seriously about him going up to play play with Newcastle. You know, because right in this article, I pitched in all these different scenarios. I mean, which were realistic. I honestly believe if he had gone to Newcastle, he never would never would have went to Real Madrid. I feel like if he went went to Newcastle, I'm sure he, pro- he there's a possibility he maybe Liverpool and you know another bigger Premier League heavyweight would have invested in in, in him, but. How do I feel about Newcastle not signing him? I mean, really, with how his career turned out, I'm fine with it. But also in that time, I was only th- I was only three years old, you know, during that time. And again, I'm sorry I'm making you feel old, but I was th- I was three years of age, and you know, I was already a fan of Zidane. But I just told because I was I was ring at the time, and my dad was telling me, you know, about Zidane's career. So I told my dad, well, it's time for him to to take it to the next level. He needs to go to a bigger club. And since Newcastle rejected him. Juventus took advantage of it. They took the guy. They took him. You know, they improved him, and like you said, the rest is history. But mm-hmm. I mean, I can't. I mean, all these scenarios are just simple. Like you know, it, it's not. It's 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 merely just a thought. I mean, sure, he. I'm sure he he would have won a couple of Premier League titles, and you know, he and Alan Shearer would have been an amazing dynamic duo. But at the end of the day, it's just simply what I believe. I mean, it's real. I mean, everybody who read it said, you know, you're right, Alex. It's this could have happened. But at the end of the day, it's merely just what I believe. While as realistic as they are, it, it never happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, agree. I mean, at the end of the day, all I can say is, well, it's it's Newcastle's loss, not Zidane's. No, exactly. Well, that pretty much does it for this week. I'd like to remind everybody that Into the Net FC is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Steve, I want to thank you very much for coming, and I want to wish you and your amazing family a happy Thanksgiving, and I'd like to wish everybody around the world a very happy Thanksgiving as well. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Have a good rest of your short week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.